This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Politics is Everything, a podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm your co-host, Kara Ong-Whaley. And this is Kyle Kondik, Managing Editor of Sabados Crystal Ball. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk this week, Miles and Kyle, about the Senate races. Um, Kyle, I want to start with you. Uh, This week in the Crystal Ball, you are making some rating changes on the Senate races. I wonder if you can talk about how the political environment has changed over this summer and what does that pretend for Senate races this fall, especially as we are heading into the big marker of Labor Day? Yeah, it's funny that Labor Day, I think, historically is seen as sort of the start of the campaign season. But now that we basically have like year-long campaigns or, or cycle-long campaigns, I don't know if it really is the start of anything, but it is it is kind of a, a worthwhile sort of mile marker on the road to the election. And so I think over the course of the last couple of months, things have gotten a little bit better for Democrats. You know, this kind of looked like a Republican wave year. I think it's probably still more of a Republican year than not. Um, but between the Dobbs abortion decision a couple of months ago, uh, some indicators like special elections and polling and other things, it just seems like things have gotten a little bit better for Democrats. And we already knew going into the summer that Republicans had some candidate problems in some of these key Senate races. And so you sort of put all those things together. And I, I think if you're a Democrat, maybe you feel a little bit better about things than you did at the start of the summer, even while granting that this isn't like 2018, which was like a Democratic wave year. So, Miles, this week you write in Sabato's Crystal Ball that Democrats are hoping to make this election more of a choice than a referendum. How do you see Democrats making this a choice through their campaigns? Sure. So, you know, oftentimes in these midterms, uh, they often shape up to be a referendum on the sitting president because, uh, you know, if if you're that party that's out out of power, it's... (laughs) Usually easier to just come com- complain against of uh, the party that 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 that's in charge, uh, but this year, as Kyle kind of alluded to, uh, with some of the candidates that Republicans are running, you know, a big uh, part of or what may be implied in some Democratic messaging is okay. Well, Biden may not be popular, but you really don't want to vote for the other guys. Uh, so I think that's a big factor. Uh, and I think with the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade, that's something that, at least in some of the special elections we've seen, we've have been seeing, uh, that's something that has really energized the damn Democrats. Uh, that could very possibly help them too. You know, one thing that is unusual about this election, to Miles's point, is that you know usually. The you know parties in control of Washington, they control the Congress and presidency. They're the one making the policy changes, and yet, arguably, the biggest, most important policy changes happened in this election was actually the Supreme Court. You know, essentially doing away with federal federal protections for abortion rights, and so it kind of t- turns the normal midterm model on its head and has made it kind of a, a I would say a little bit more of an unusual election than than what we we would expect with a president in Joe Biden who's still pretty unpopular. So you have moved two Senate races from toss-up to leans Democratic in Arizona and Pennsylvania. What is factoring into your decisions to make those rating changes? Yeah, so uh, in Arizona, uh, Mark Kelly, who won a special election as Democrat in 2020, he's running for a full term this time. Pennsylvania is an open seat being defended by Republicans. And I would say without going into, you know, 
too much painstaking detail and which, you know, we, we, uh, um, if you want more on this, we read our uh, story in the crystal ball, uh, in Wednesday's edition. But, um, basically I think that the, the Democrats have candidate quality advantages in both the races, the polling generally points to the Democrats in those races. Even if you take into account that the polling, um, maybe is likelier to overstate Democrats these days than, than, than Republicans. Um, I think particularly in Arizona, you have Democrats between their candidate and their, you know, the various allied groups are going to have a big fundraising advantage on, um, on, on the Republicans. Pennsylvania is a little bit more mixed in that front. Um, and, you know, you, you've got pretty strong Democratic candidates and Republican candidates who have some pretty significant um, weaknesses. And, you know, Mehmet Oz, the TV doctor running in Pennsylvania, and then Blake Masters, an uh, uh, inexperienced venture capital uh, candidate uh, running in uh, Arizona. You know, their, fa- their favorability isn't, isn't good. Both of them had to get through tough primaries. So you just add it all together. And we thought it was reasonable to think of both Kelly and Fetterman as favorites in those races. You know, they're not huge favorites, but I think I'd rather be them um, heading down the stretch here. Yeah, and I would just add to that, you know, speaking of the, uh, uh, of some of the polls that we've been seeing, you know, we've seen polls that have, you know, uh, uh, have uh, Fetterman and Kelly up by, you know, over uh, 10, 10, 10 points in some cases. You know, we're not... And we're a little hard pressed to believe that they lead by that much. You know, the, these are very close states. Uh, but it does seem probably fair to say that the damn Democrats are up by um, up by at least a bit in bo- both races. Um, one other point to the candidate quality thing um, is both since the, the primaries have sort of struggled to pivot to the general election. Uh, Oz, because his primary was a little harder, uh, he racked up high negatives, even with Republican voters. And those um, those bad ratings seem to be transferring over to the general election as well. Um, and then in Arizona with Blake Masters, uh, you know, he's gotten into some trouble recently because there have been these stories. Okay, well, uh, during the primary, he he took took these hardline stances on you know abortion or vote voter fraud. Well, those are off of his his website right now. That's very interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask a follow up question. In your change in the ratings in Pennsylvania, um, especially with Mehmet Oz, um, you noted that image matters in politics. Um, I wonder if you can talk just a little bit more about um, the role that image is playing in that race and why it matters. Talking to one of my friends who's a Democratic operative in Pennsylvania, and he said, "Well, this is a very parochial state. Uh, this is something we mentioned in our article. Is there was a poll? I think it was from Fox News in July. Uh, something like fifty-two percent of the Pennsylvania electorate doubts that Oz is familiar enough uh, with the state to be able to represent it." Uh, you know, do we really, really contrast that with, you know, even uh, even before he was a candidate for Senate, uh, John Fed- Fetterman uh, was known for being a big fan, fan of Sheets, which is, you know, of course, a con- convenience store based in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, so that was already a big part of his persona. Uh, and you had one of the more uh, recent episodes where Oz is... Uh, in the supermarket, uh, shopping for crudités, um, and the da- Democrats are almost trying to make him into this Mitt Romney out of touch type character. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not like Fetterman is, you know, a perfect candidate or anything like that. I mean, he, I, I just, uh, you know, the, the Republicans have tried to um, sort of pick away at, at uh, Fetterman's kind of uh, tough guy, Western Pennsylvania image, you know, by noting that he basically has been su- supported by his parents for a large chunk of his life. Um, and, uh, uh, and that he's, you know, he's fairly liberal on, on a lot of issues and, and, uh, they, they can go after him on those sorts of things. Um, but the, the, I, I think the thing is, is that Fetterman has done such a good job of sort of branding himself compared to how Oz has done with him, with, with, with his campaign. And so Oz has this, it just seems like Oz's baggage is more significant at this point. And part of what we're going to find out over the rest of the campaign is, is can Oz overcome his baggage and sort of chip away more at Fetterman's, uh, you know, the, the sort of image that Fetterman has, has built up for it for himself. Um, but, uh, you know, so far, again, I think that's just gone a little bit better for Fetterman than for Oz. And, you know, one thing you, you also hear just in talking to people about these Senate races is that so much of what people end up learning about the races comes through basically television advertising. And, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, it seems like Democrats have had sort of an advantage on that. That might sort of even out as, as time goes on here. Um, but I think a lot of the Fetterman stuff has just been fairly effective. Again, we'll see if it we'll see if it lasts. You know, Pennsylvania is a very closely, uh, um, very closely contested uh, state, just like Arizona is. Why are Georgia and Nevada still toss ups? Um, you know, so uh, uh, first of all, it seems like the polling is either there's not as much of it or it's less it's it, it's it's more inconclusive than in some of the other states. I mean, um, and just from what we hear from people involved in these campaigns is that. Georgia is still, you know, really close where I think that there is a fairly decent acknowledgement that um, both Fetterman and Kelly are leading in their respective races by some number. Again, as Miles said, we don't think it's 10, like some points at polls have said, but um, uh, there's the, 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 the numbers seem to be a little bit more mixed. And, you know, Herschel Walker is the Republican challenger to Raphael Warnock, the Democrat in Georgia. Um, you know, Walker's former football star is another, just like many other Republican candidates this year, basically has no experience in government, no experience running for office. But um, I do think that Walker at least has some built up goodwill from his time as a football star at the University of Georgia. Um, he's also, um, you know, I think, you know, some some of these Republican candidates, particularly Masters in Arizona, can kind of come off as hard edged. I don't think Walker is like that, even though there are all sorts of problems with his candidacy. Um and so, I, you know, I, I do think that there's not really a clear leader in Georgia and Nevada. You know, we've con- we've we've consistently thought of Nevada as sort of the most the most endangered Democratic held Senate seat, um, in part because uh, it seems like the Democrats are losing some ground amongst um, kind of working class voters of all stripes. And uh, Nevada is, I'd say, more of a working class state than Georgia and Arizona are, you know, Georgia and Arizona have, uh, uh, um, you know, these big growing uh, metropolitan areas um, and these kind of big growing, you know, highly educated suburbs and Democrats have really been doing better in those kinds of places. Um, you know, Nevada is dominated by Las Vegas. A lot of people who work in ser- the service industry, they probably were harder hit by COVID. So I just think there's, there's maybe a little bit different of a dynamic in Nevada. And even if you look at like a Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania has, has a, a Philadelphia and to a lesser extent, Pittsburgh, um, you know, they're just, they're just kind of, there's some differences among the States. And so if I were, I, I still think like the reason we still think the Senate's a toss up is because, um, you know, based on our ratings, the, the, the Republicans would need to win Nevada and Georgia to flip the Senate if the other ratings end up being right. But we still think they have a decent chance to do that, you know, that that we're not necessarily picking them to do it at this point, but um, they're, they're right there for the taking. So, um, you know, we do see Nevada and Georgia as just kind of the hardest to, to figure out at this point. And then one thing I'll add to, to this is, you know, it 
I think this kind kind of shows how the races for the, the Senate are still a little different from presidential races, because if you look at Joe Biden's margin in 2020, Biden only won Arizona and Pennsylvania by about a point or less each. Nevada, which he won by two and a half, we still have that as a toss-up. Uh, so, you know, I think that goes to, again, the differences of spending and uh, uh, really of the qualities of the individual candidates. Uh, one state I'll also mention here in passing uh, is some people may ask us why we're still not moving off of Lean's Republican for the state of Wisconsin, another very, very close state. You know, we've had some polling out of there actually a few, few polls within the, the past week or so um, with the Democratic nominee, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, ahead of Senator Ron Johnson, uh, who is a very controversial the, the, these days. Uh, but, you know, Johnson really kind of scored this come from behind win in 2016. You know, he was basically left for dead by uh, most national rep rep Republicans, but he ends up uh, winning by a few points. A few points. Um, I think in terms of the spending, Wisconsin is going to be a, a bit more even uh, than some of these other races we're talking again about. So you know, we're not. Uh, it's a race that you know, if uh, if Barnes's numbers are holding up in a few weeks, you know, we may. Uh, you know, we're still going to be looking at that race, but we're not quite ready to move it out of the Republican column yet. So you both have raised the issue of uh, political spending. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about the role that campaign funding in the Senate races is playing this year um, and how our party and candidate fundraising and spending impacting campaigns. I'd say there's considerable debate about the importance of uh, campaign finance and, and, and money in these races. Although, you know, if you talk to people actually like, you know, operatives and people involved with the national party committees and whatnot, like all they talk about is money or they're very focused on money in part because money is sort of something they can control and the, the campaigns themselves can control. But, you know, we did just have a, a cycle last in 2020 where, you did have Democrat Democratic challengers with these big financial advantages in a lot of states, and a lot of them basically, you know, came up empty. Now, you know, I guess you could say the combination of incumbency and money and weaker challengers, you put all those things together, and maybe that is is part of the reason why you might think, you know, Democrats are are, are favored in like an Arizona or Pennsylvania, which is what our ratings now indicate. Um, but you know. Like, like I always say, like any candidate obviously would rather have more money than the other candidate, um, but it's not always determinative of outcomes. And one other little, just little thing here is that you're going to be seeing a lot of outside spending in these races from, you know, affiliated Democratic groups and affiliated Republican groups, et cetera. But the way that the actual bookings for the advertising, the advertising works is that the candidates themselves, when they book ads, they get a much better ad rate closer to the election than the outside groups do. So it may be that combined, you know, the Democrats are spending 50 million in a race and the Republicans are spending 50 million in a race. But if it's a Democratic incumbent who's got a lot of money and is spending more than the Republican challenger, maybe they get twice the number of ads that the Republican side does or, you know, whatever iteration you want to look at. Um, but that's also something um, worth noting. But it is also interesting, too, that, that we're in this era where, 
there's this fracturing of traditional audiences, fracturing of traditional media, you know, streaming and people being on social media a lot or whatever. So, so candidates have to be more creative, I think, about where they book ads. But like at the end of the day, traditional TV spending is still kind of the king, even though you could argue that just like everything else in media, it's becoming more fractured and, um, you, you know, it goes, it goes, it doesn't go quite as far as it used to. Last week, President Joe Biden announced that he's going to be taking executive action on college debt relief. How do you see the announcement impacting Senate races? One of the really big trends of that came out of the uh, Trump era was this polarization along educational lines. Um, Kyle was talking earlier about how we see no Nevada, for for example, as, as a state that's relatively less college educated. Um, you know, so that may, uh, you know, that's really my biggest thinking when it comes to the impacts of that. Uh, you know, in terms of the youth vote, you know, younger voters, you know, specifically the 18 to 29 kind of age block, you know, they tend to punch under their weight when it comes to participating in midterms. You know, it's not like, the opposite end of that being the uh, seniors who always turn out, it seems, seems like during midterms. And I think in 2018, the the 18 to 29 group turned out like at 36% or four, which, which was, that was considered good. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, uh, I guess on the flip side of that, it may help uh, Democrats with a youth vote and uh, basically to, to, to turn out that group. Some, there's been some initial polling on it. I feel like the the uh, response has been kind of mixed, which is sort of what you might expect when there's a you know there's a policy change like this enacted. And um, you know, I guess I guess I think Democrats are hopeful that, that maybe that is something that is more targeted toward folks who might be likely to vote for them, but maybe aren't going to turn out in in the election. But I could also certainly imagine there being reasonable crit- criticisms of the the decision because of people who maybe already paid off their debt and feel like, you know, that, that others are getting rewarded when, you know, when, when maybe they feel like they were more frugal or they more responsible or whatnot. But at the same time, you know, college debt is such a huge issue for a lot of people, including people who, you know, aren't just, don't just have degrees that people like to make fun of and, you know, and, and don't get jobs and what their degree is. And I mean, it's just, there's a lot of, it's, it's a pretty charged thing. And I think a lot of the commentary ends up being charged about it. Um, you know, I don't, you know, usually when there's some development like this, I think that the safe stance is to think, well, you know, a lot of these things don't really move the needle that much in terms of overall political impact. And that's sort of my own default on this. Um, but that very well could be wrong. I just would like to see more, you know, some some, some clear evidence. And, um, you know, it just happened pretty recently. And so, again, I think the, the evidence we do have is, is probably pretty yeah. mixed at well, this it's, point. Well, it's like, yeah, I know, how many, how many people are still talking about the uh, uh, the FBI raid? <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that, we you know, kind of seems important at first, but <laughs> kind of fades. Yeah, and it's like, it's not like it's not important. It's just like, is is that does it change the the electoral calculus is what we're trying to consider and to miles to your point a lot of this stuff doesn't we think it's it does at the time maybe but it, it just doesn't and, and and you know so so that's that's sort of where I'm at on the on the what 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 Biden did with the with the college debt um, relief I think another 
thing to consider is to what extent are candidates going to pick it up as a campaign issue, right? And I'm not sure that we have enough information yet on that. Um, and, you know, it's, I mean, I said this in the question, it was done, but it's being done by executive action. So it lays, t- it's going to be vulnerable if there's a change in executive administration. <laughs> right. And also you, you just wonder if, if it'll stand up in the courts too. I mean, that's, there's been some speculation about that. And I, you know, I don't have, I don't have a feel for that, but it's a reasonable question to ask. And, you know, I'll say as well, you know, it, it doesn't seem like at least from the Democratic candidates I've seen, only one or two of them are really trying to put some distance between themselves and Joe Biden over this. So it's so, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like right after they passed the Affordable Care Act when a lot of Democrats in vulnerable seats were really trying to not talk about it. <laughs> a lot of, and, and, you know, Democrats had big majorities back then, and particularly, you know, in the House, a lot of Democrats didn't vote for it. Um, you know, this is a different deal in that, of course, the Democratic majority is small anyway, but um, but this isn't something that, that Congress actually had a chance to vote on. And, you know, there's a reasonable argument to say that maybe they should have, that this should be something originating from Congress. And maybe um, maybe the courts will will make some judgment about that. Kyle and Miles, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything to discuss the changing in the Senate races. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Fays. Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to follow us on social media at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to CLO3S at virginia.edu. Until next time, 